and to multiply greatly in their lives. I thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Good morning, Lake Church. Hallelujah. God is good and greatly to be praised. Amen. Well, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to endeavor to move forward in our teaching, As Goes the Church, As Goes the Church, So Goes the World. Amen? So we're going to be talking about that. Ephesians chapter 4, looking there, this is a special day because this is the day that uh, we end the two-service format. Now, we've been in the two-service format for 15 years. It was September of 2007 that we went to a second service, and we basically went to second services because we didn't have the room. Well, we've got the room now, and we've got the, got the place to do it, so we're going to be going to a 10 a.m. Uh, this next Sunday, and we'll be there until the Lord directs us to go in a different way. But <clears throat> he did not tell me to do that because of attendance or anything of that nature. He told me to do it because he wants us in one place and in one accord. And the Holy Spirit wants to do some things as we collectively come together at 10 o'clock, and we're just going to see some great things. I believe the dynamics and the freshness that we are looking forward to will be there immediately, and I think good things are going to be happening. Amen? Amen. So I look forward to seeing you next week at 10 o'clock and then from that time forward. But uh, this is a special time. For 15 years, we've been meeting at 11 a.m. 15 years. Can you believe it? Amen. God is good and greatly to be praised. Amen. Amen. So you got Ephesians chapter 4? How many car enthusiasts do we have? People that like cars and fast cars. I know we got some motorheads in here. Come on now, Greg. I know you like them cars. You're at the car shows. I know Kirby. He loves his uh, Chevelles, right? All right, okay, yeah, he, he's got some Chevelles. He's got a Chevelle, um, basically, museum, uh, you know, and stuff like that. Hallelujah. So when you like, you know, the old type cars, you know, they've got those nice bodies, you know, and put those nice wheels on there and you can dial them up and you can chrome them out and you can do all this stuff, make them look shiny, get in there and have these beautiful bucket seats and you can put all the, the, the modern amenities in the older cars these days and they can look absolutely sharp. I mean, they can glisten. When they come down the road, you just you know can't take your eyes off of it. But... A great car isn't about the seats. It isn't about what it looks like on the outside. A great car is a great car because of the engine that's on the inside of it. And uh, so if you've got a four-cylinder, you know, in, in a muscle car, that just doesn't really go together. And you're not going to be able to do anything that a muscle car does with a four-cylinder engine. So you've got to, you've got to look under the hood. And when you buy something, when you buy a car, it's important to look under the hood, especially a muscle car. It's important to see what's under the hood. Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, which we're going to be referring to this morning, is basically the Apostle Paul showing you what's under the hood of the church. 
because we can look at all the trappings and amenities that modern church has. And we can say, well, they've got this, they've got that, they must be successful. Well, that's not necessarily true because success depends on God's definition, not man's. We can sit here and say, well, because people show up or they seem to have resources, they are a blessed church. That's not necessarily the truth. There's been times I know we've been totally in the absolute will of God and have struggled. Absolutely. How many know that in your personal life? You just know you're in the will of God, but you're struggling. You're, you're just having a, a rough go of it. So we can't determine whether God's in it or not in it based upon our exterior circumstances. But many times people are looking at the church and they deem the church successful when it looks glistening, when it's glossy, when it looks like it's got the, the tires of are brand new and everything just looks really chromed out and really good. But yet you pop that hood and you open it up and you could have, you know, a nest in it, you know, and uh, you could have all kinds of, you know, there's somebody that had uh, um, rats or mice in it, you know, and stuff like that. You could have all kinds of different things because what we see with the naked eye isn't always the true tale. And so we have to define, <clears throat> because as the, goes the church, so goes the world. If we're going to affect the world the way we should by being the body of Christ in the earth, then we've got to focus on what God focuses on, not on what the world focuses on. And so we begin to look at certain things and use different gauges to determine success in the church. And success in the church is not necessarily about attendance, and it's about um, engagement. God is into engagement. Are we engaged in the process? Are we going through the process? Are we being discipled? Are we being trained? Are we being stretched? Those are vital things that we need to understand. So when he speaks in the fourth chapter here, in the first 16 verses, which we're going to go down, he's basically giving you what a healthy church looks like, what a healthy local body looks like, and what a healthy body of Christ looks like, okay? And the first thing that he says, you can look over at uh, verse number one. I'm going to scroll down so I can show it to you on the screen. All right. Well, let's not do that. Hallelujah. Okay. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now notice this. The Apostle Paul addresses, first off, he addresses character issues. He doesn't address how many Holy Ghost moves they've had in the service how great their praise and worship is, how many moves of God they've had, how many times in which people have, you know, been stuck to the floor or any of the, the things that we experience sometimes when the Holy Spirit moves. He begins to talk to us as walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Now, see, that we have to understand this, is that, you know, you didn't find the Lord. He wasn't lost. 
He called you. You were in darkness. He called you out of darkness. So this is a calling. This is, you know, to attend a local body is just as much a calling as a pastor answering the call of a church. To attend a local church is not about preference. It's not even about convenience. It's not about checking all the boxes. It's about God telling you to report somewhere regardless of what it looks like and regardless of what you feel like in it because your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. And I think that's in the Bible somewhere. So we've got to understand that church shopping is not scriptural. There's no such thing as church shop where we're out church shopping. No, that's not scriptural at all. You pray, you seek God, and God places every member in the body as it pleases him, not as it pleases us. Amen? This is going over real good. But it's the truth. Save you a lot of time and money. Finding your place. And, you know, it doesn't have to be close. It can be, you know, somewhere in another, you know, it's wherever God calls you to be. You show up because you're a soldier in the army of God. Soldiers don't get to pick their base of operations. Amen? And you're really not looking for this or that because most people are attached to churches based upon uh, needs base. They're, they're getting their needs met. Well, I like it because they got good praise and worship or I like it because they got good children's ministry. And I, I believe all churches should have good children's ministry. I believe all churches should have these things. But that does not mean that if they do not, that you're not called to that church. And if you have problems with that area and it becomes a, a thorn in your side, you might be called to help that church in that area instead of complaining about it. This is going good. Amen. All right. Okay. So he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So that doesn't mean that we're not worthy. Jesus' blood has made us worthy. We're not worthy in and of ourselves. He's made us worthy. But we're to walk in a manner that is worthy of that calling. When the greatest person that has ever existed, the Lord Jesus Christ, calls you out, that is a great honor. I want to walk in a manner worthy of that. I don't want to disappoint my master. Amen? Have I? Probably so. Yes. But I don't set out to walk in that way. I set out to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So he begins to tell us what that worthiness is. And notice he does not say in signs and wonders and in divers' tongues and giftings and prophecy. doesn't say that at all. Hello, because we have this mistaken notion in the body of Christ today that gifting is supreme. That maturity and gifting go hand in hand, and they do not. The Bible never teaches that maturity and gifting go hand in hand. In fact, I shared with you when I was last with you, God used a donkey to speak, and he uses donkeys today. Amen. He does. Okay. So 
he goes on and says, these should be the characteristics of the church. It shouldn't be, oh man, I was there and man, this happened and that happened and my goodness, that was just, you could be in a place where you see all these manifestations, but you don't see any of these things. And Jesus said, you shall know them by their gifts. Is that what he said? No, he said, you'll know them by their fruit. So to truly be a church that epitomizes walking worthy of the calling that we've been called and exemplifying Jesus, it starts off with humility. Amen? Gentleness. With patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, if you can't bear with one another in love in the church, where are you going to get that? Are you going to get that at the workplace? Are you going to get that at school? Are you going to get into this dog-eat-dog world? Absolutely not. We are called to bear with one another in love. And that means, you know, if a person is burdened and doing silly stuff and causing us inconvenience, we come in and we help them with the load. That's what it means. We shoulder the burden. And we shoulder it with love. Boy, howdy. That's just bouncing right off of you. But it's the truth. We've got to bear up with one another in love, as one translation says. We've got to be patient with one another. We've got to be gentle with one another. We've got to have humility. Now, does that look like some Christian's timeline on their Facebook page? We've got people fighting one another. We've got people disputing one another. There's no, there, there's no humility. There's no gentleness. There's no patience. They're not bearing up with one another. In fact, they're frustrated and mad. The church is more mad at God than they are the devil. That's the age that we live in today, is the church is more mad at God than they are the devil. I'm here to tell you, if you're mad at God, you got the problem. God doesn't have the problem. Amen? You need to put your anger towards the, where it needs to be, the enemy of your souls, because God does not come to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? Are you with me? But then he goes on and says this, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice he does not say eager to maintain the unity of doctrine. He says unity of the Spirit because guess what? We're all going to have different ways of thinking about stuff and we're all going to see things differently in the Word of God. Now there's basic doctrines that, that you know, we cannot break. The virgin birth, the inerrancy of Scripture, Come on, those are things that are universal. But you know, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, rapture. Come on now. Uh, various different ideas and the theological ideas. Listen, we may not necessarily jive with one another on, but we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. There's not anything that we may differ on in, in regards to the Word that should break our bond of being born of God and part of the same family. Amen? 
And we should be eager to do that in peace, not in strife, not being Captain Correction. Come on now, how many have ever had Captain Correction show up? All right, they're always fun. Amen? And, uh, you know, they show up and they, they try to, you know, correct. Not one person has ever looked at a timeline and said, oh, you're absolutely right. I'm going to change totally my total disposition on this, and I'm going to go your direction. I've never seen that on any timeline. I've never seen anybody write back. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Not one time. Those things get longer and longer and longer, and guess what happens? The world gets involved, and the world starts giving their ideas about stuff, and it don't help nobody. It don't help anybody. Direct message a brother. That might be good. Direct message a sister. Say, hey, have you thought about this? Come on. And don't disguise it like, I really want to learn from you. No, you don't. You you want to tell me off is what you want to do. And you want to do it in Jesus' name. Amen? Come on now. So that goes back to pride. That goes back to humility. That goes back to gentleness. Amen? When we start acting the way Jesus acted, we start exhibiting his character, we won't have enough chairs. We won't have enough buildings. Why? Because Jesus attracts. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men towards me. Amen? Well, I'm here to tell you, If that's not been the case, and it hasn't been in the United States for a long time, then we need to stop looking at a bad, bad world and start realizing that it may be a bad, bad church. If the church is the express image of Jesus on the earth, then the church's responsibility is to lift Jesus up so that all men can be drawn to him. If if we're not lifting him up, then people aren't drawn to him. Oh, don't take me there, Lord. Okay, I'll I'll say it. All right. <clears throat> I remember Gerald Brooks said this, and he he's one of my mentors, and in the um, he's pastored well over thirty five years down in Plano, Texas. And he said this. He said, you know, twenty years ago, if a person walked into my into my um, service and wanted to meet with me or talk with me about the church and wanted to investigate whether this was the house that God was calling him to, they would ask this, what do you believe? And so they would share doctrine with them. Well, we believe this, we believe this, you know, we believe this. And they would base their decision on the fact that if they could connect, you know, with that belief system. Okay. He said, about 10 years ago, it changed. And he said, especially the last five years. He said this, they're not asking what we believe. They're asking, what are you against? And that's really the, that's really the culture of the church right now. If you'll come to my church when I'm mad at what you're mad at. Hello. So if I'm mad at something that's going on politically and I say what you want to hear politically, you're okay. Well, I'm not going to do that. 
Hello? I'm not looking for an axe to grind. I've already got my own. <laughs> I've got my own axe, and I can't carry anybody else's axe with, with me. Amen? I've got my own thoughts about stuff, but that doesn't mean it needs to be propounded from here. Amen? So we've got a culture today where people are looking to join the church because of certain political ideologies or certain support of certain um, cultural ideas. And if I'm not against what you're against, then I don't, you know, I don't qualify for you to follow me. You've got to go find somebody that clicks all the boxes in your life, and that is not the way the church is built. Jesus said, I will build my church. Did you know that Greg doesn't build Lake Church? Did you know that there's not one person in here that has built Lake Church? Jesus has built Lake Church. Amen? And so you've got to understand that it's him that built the church. So that means this. Greg Hurd's preaching didn't bring you here. Kevin Varnell's worship team didn't bring you here. The children's ministry, uh, you know, didn't bring you here. The youth ministry didn't bring you here. Jesus brought you here. Mm. So you're accountable to the Lord with what you do with where he's brought you. And you can sit there and, and make all the excuses in the world, but Jesus builds his church. So if you had any inkling of coming here at any time, it was Jesus talking to your heart saying, you need to get down there and be there. Well, I don't know if I'll fit in. He don't care. It don't matter to him. I don't even like that place. It don't matter to him at all. You don't even have to like me. There are people that don't like me, believe it or not, <laughs> and still come here, and still come here because they feel called here, and I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. Stay where God has you. Amen? I'm telling you what, if you took a plant and you continuously pulled it up out of a, out of a bed and you kept transplanting it over and over again, what's going to happen to that plant? That plant is going to die. It is never going to produce fruit. It is never going to do it. Stay where you planted. God has something for you. There's nutrients in the ground here. I'm not saying that I'm a part of that nutrition, and I'm not saying you're a part of that nutrition, but there's some nutrients in the ground that Jesus has put in here that is perfect for the way that you are supposed to grow. Amen. And if it's not, then there's a place out there that has that ability for you. Amen? So stop joining churches and operating in tribalism. Be a part of the body of Christ and take your place. Amen? That's good preaching anyway. All right. Amen. You know, I, I, we're called to reach all people. And any time I take, now listen, if you, you come to disclosure and things of that nature, we lay it out. We lay out what we believe, what the Word of God says about the end times and about things of that nature. But we don't do it to create sects of people. We do it to inform people of where the timeline is and what God is doing, and we can begin to be well-informed 
about what the world, the positions that they're making, that's important to do. But we can do that without being hypercritical and demagoguery and, you know, painting broad strokes on certain people. We need to realize that God wants us to be in the know, but he doesn't want us affected in a negative way about the negative things that are going on in the world because he told his people this. He said, when you see all these things come to pass, he says, look up, your redemption draws nigh. See, our attitude should always be the rescuer, Jesus Christ, that God is going to save the day. Come on now. Are you out there? We can do that. Amen. We can believe that. Okay. So he goes on. After that, I touched on this a great deal. Now we're moving on. It says there's one body and one spirit. Very important for you to understand that. It almost seems Sesame Street, does it not? But yet, most people forget this. He's basically telling you that there is only one body of Christ in the earth. There's not factions or different bodies or multi-dimensional or multiverse bodies. There's only one body, one body of Christ. And there is only one spirit in the capitalized part of pneumaticos means that that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit because he is exclusive to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Other spirits are active in the world. Have you realized that? There are other spirits in the world. In fact, the Bible tells us to not trust every spirit. Amen? Because there are unclean spirits, there are familiar spirits, there are different types of there are human spirits, there's angelic spirits, there's demonic spirits. He says don't listen to, to all of them. Don't, don't receive all of them. The reason why the Holy Spirit is important to cultivate a relationship with is because he is the spirit that powers the body of Christ. Not a familiar spirit, not an unclean spirit, not a spirit of divination, not a spirit of horoscopes, not a spirit of this and that, of yoga and various things like that. Come on now. You're doing your downward dog and you're basically giving worship to a false god. No, the Holy Spirit empowers and drives the body of Christ. Just as the real Kirby, which is his spirit, powers this awesome hardware here, <laughs> the Holy Spirit empowers the body of Christ collectively. You see what I'm saying? So we've got to understand holy means to be set apart. That means that he is exclusive He's not going to be over here with, uh, you know, in Tibet up in, the up in the mountains. He's not going to be up there, you know, working a side deal with them. Well, these, these Christians, I can't work with them. I'm going to go over here to the monks, you know, Buddhist monks. No, he exclusively works through the body of Christ. Oh, my, I'm telling you, you have an exclusive relationship and an exclusive power to operate in because you are a vessel of the Holy Spirit. The power is not yours, it's his. 
but we are chosen as vessels to be that he can use and animate himself through. We are the body of Christ and members in particular. Amen? Okay, so he says there's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. There's only one hope. That's the blessed hope. That's Jesus. There's no hope in any other religion, any other idea, any other thing that comes across the world. There's only one hope, and that belongs to your call. It says, one Lord. Praise God. There's only one Lord. Baal is not Lord. Muhammad is not Lord. Hello. There's only one Lord. And every knee will bow. Of things in heaven, of things on the earth, and things under the earth. All bow to one Lord. One faith. There's only one faith that can translate you from death to life. There's only one faith that can move the mountains in your life. There's only one faith that, you, that, that cause you to please God, and that is the faith in Jesus Christ. And one baptism. What's he talking about? Is he talking about water baptism? No, he's talking about the baptism into the body. There's only one baptism into the body of Christ. The minute you're born again, you no longer identify as an individual anymore. You are baptized into the collective body of Christ. You become a part of the body. So guess what? Whatever's in the body comes from the head. The head is Jesus Christ. So the life that is in the head, Jesus Christ, begins to animate the body. So everything that's in the head is in the body. So the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on, dwells on the inside of you because you're part of his body. You don't earn this. You don't deserve this. You can't merit this. You can't make this happen on your own. You just believe the gospel and you got immersed and baptized. Baptism means to immerse as it, to dip in as to dye a garment. It means that you just go right in and you don't come back up. Amen? And it's one baptism. One God. There is no God like our God. He is the God of gods. He is one God. Amen? There's a lot of spirits that want to make themselves gods. We've talked about them at great length, but notice this, there's only one God. There's only one. And Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Can you say amen? amen. <clears throat> now he goes on to this. Okay, so what's a healthy church? A healthy church operates in the fruit of the Spirit and doesn't necessarily emphasize, you know, the gifts of the Spirit, although the gifts of the Spirit are operating, but yet the emphasis should be on the fruit of the Spirit. I could care less how many devils you've cast out if you're not kind and tenderhearted and come on now there's some people that can do some stuff and have done some stuff and they're rude and they don't display the character of Christ listen you don't follow gifts you follow fruit I would much rather follow someone as they follow Christ because you don't follow anyone personally if they're not following Christ and see you can follow someone for gifting's sake and be led astray but if you follow someone who's following after Christ, that means the same character of Christ is displayed. Not perfect, 
because nobody's perfect, but the same character that Jesus had, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, self-control, these things, they need to be in the person's life that you're, you know, being mentored by. Amen? I say, well, you know, it was just a powerful service. Well, how'd they treat the waiter? Oh, you didn't get that. You didn't get that. Hello. Amen. I've, I've, I've been to lunches with some of these guys and <sighs> I sure would like a fruit stand to show up. <laughs> Amen. So we've got to have the character, and then we've got to realize that everything we do is based upon one. One. Not multiplicity, one. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, one body. We've got to be focused. A church that is doing what God has called them to do is a church that's focused on the one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Amen? Amen. But then he goes on and he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Isn't that amazing? Now he's talking about giftings. And who got, who's got the giftings? Everybody does. So everybody means you. Amen? Did you know that you are a gifted individual? Some of you aren't convinced. Did you know that you are gifted by God? And that because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection... You've been given grace, which he's talking about grace giftings. We could translate that grace giftings. The word keros doesn't just mean unmerited favor. It also means giftings and abilities. So when we, when we think of someone that operates and just has a certain skill or proclivity towards something, we'll say, well, they're graced to do that. Well, guess what? You have been graced by God to do certain things within his body. I'm going to get the zappers in the chairs here. <laughs> now you've been taught in school and through culture that there's only a select group of gifted people in the world. And they're usually on television. They're on television. They're making music or they're in the political sphere are they're just the winners? How many? How many? How many realize that that you, you that you have been cultivated and and um, my, brainwashed into believing that there are winners and losers in the cultural sphere? Back in my day, because in school these days they give participation ribbons, you know, to everything, and they don't like to offend anybody. But in my day, they didn't care if they offended you or not. They didn't care. They had a thing called the gifted class. How many remember the gifted class? Now, the gifted class was the class that were being prepared for college like at 7th, 8th grade. I mean, their favorite game is what's the square root? You know, they, you know they're reading all kinds of stuff, and they're very advanced, and they look bored in class because they know everything the teacher knows. 
And they didn't ride in the short bus like me. They rode in the big long one. Okay? And they got to go places I didn't get to go. They got to go to museums and they got to go visit the Capitol. And they got to go, you know, to various schools and things of that nature. This was the gifted class. They would kind of operate in a group. How many remember these days? They'd operate, you know, in a group and they'd, you know, they'd kind of stay together with their pocket protectors and, you know, come on now. I'm being very stereotypical, but, but, uh, you know, and they were doted on because they could do things you couldn't do. I mean, they could add, (laughs) you know, read old English, write in cursive, you know, stuff like that. You're, you're sitting there and you just feel dumb. You feel like a dummy when you come, when they come in, they take their little place in the snack room. You're just like. I wish I was gifted. You would never say that. You'd never say that. You'd never say that to your homeboys at all. You'd just you'd make fun of them, you know, and stuff. But really deep down inside, you want to be gifted. You want to be gifted. That's the gifted class. I know their pants don't fit, but they're gifted. And they don't know anything about hair gel, but they're gifted. <laughs> Hello. They look like they rolled out of bed, but they're gifted. <laughs> Hello. And you want to be gifted. Everybody wants to be gifted. You ever seen someone get up, sing beautiful song, and just have a beautiful voice, and you just think, man, they're gifted. What happened to me? It's my mom and dad. They did it to me. You know, and you begin to look for excuses as to why you're not exhibiting that same level of giftedness in your area of life because you were taught there are winners and losers. This scripture throws that philosophy on its ear. But grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So that means this, that when I got born again, when I made Jesus Lord of my life and I passed from death into life, God's gifts came into me. And they're different. They're different gifts. Jesus expresses himself differently through each one of us. It's because we need one another because we're a body. We're a body. Amen? Amen. A good illustration that I used at 9 o'clock was something that I saw, that, uh, well, Kevin actually saw it at Andrew Womack teaching. And uh, it was basically, they brought up a, a guy that was, um, you know, into guns, and he brought an AK-47 into the uh, service, not, not to do any, you know, anything wrong. He just brought it in there to show an uh, uh, object lesson. And so he took the gun apart. And he took the pieces, even the, you know, little springs and stuff, and he'd hold them up and said, are you afraid of that? And everybody said, well, hey, you, what, are you going to try to stab me with a, with a spring, you know? And then he'd lift up another piece of the gun, and he'd say, are you afraid of this? 
and he would even aim it at them. And, of course, nobody's afraid of any of it because it's just a piece. But once they put the whole thing together and he put it out like that, he said, are you afraid of this? And everybody said, yes, absolutely. See, what happens is, is when you're out in the world, you're just a spring, you're just a piece. But when we come together collectively, we become the body of Christ. The devil is not afraid of you individually. He's afraid of us collectively. And that's the reason why he came against us gathering together. He does not want us gathering together. And that's one reason why God has asked us to gather together collectively. It's because he wants to aim and fire towards the kingdom of darkness in a way that he's not able to do with the two-service format. Amen. Amen. So grace, that means you're a gifted individual. You are the gifted class. You've got giftings, and you don't just have one gifting. You've got multiple giftings. If you study the Word of God, you're going to find out that you are a multi-gifted, multi-talented individual. Amen? But many will not see their gifts manifest. And because we're looking under the hood of the local church, he says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Then he goes in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended in the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now the reason why he puts this in parentheses is because he wants to get in the church's mind that Jesus is all you need. That these giftings aren't given by someone who is temporal. That these giftings are given by someone who is eternal. Someone who cannot die. Someone who went down to hell and was raised back to life. Someone who went to the darkest place and went to the brightest place. Someone who has filled all things. So your gifting isn't based upon some special power. It isn't based upon some special conduct. It's based upon a risen Savior who has conquered everything. Amen? So he goes on and he says, and he gave the apostles. Now, I like the King James better here because we're missing a word, and he gave some. Notice the preceding verses said, Everyone's been given a grace gift, but not everyone is an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or pastor, or teacher. So here we have the fivefold ministry gifts, and it says some are called to these. Not everybody is a pastor. Not everybody is a prophet. Seems like that's a big thing today. Everybody calling themselves by these names. You don't get to call yourself by those names. These are not titles. These are functions. There are people that call themselves these and don't function as them. The true proof of any gift is that it functions. Not that it's just, oh, well, I just want to be that. I'm an evangelist. I'm a this. 
I, I like the lost. I, I go after the lost, so I'm an evangelist. That's not a calling. Everybody should be about the lost. The Great Commission is for everybody. An evangelist deals with very specific things in regards to the lost and operates in certain giftings. But one of the mistakes that we make is we put these on a pedestal. And that is not the teaching that the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying every one of you is given gifts. How are those gifts going to be brought forth? Those gifts have been given to you and they're not going to be repented of. God's not going to repent from giving something to you. He's not going to change his mind. And he has filled all things. So the one who has given you the gift, listen, he is steadfast and he will stay true. But then he says, but some he gave to be apostles, to be prophets, to be evangelists, to be pastors and teachers. And then he goes on and says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, most people, you know, they read this with periods, to equip the saint, period, to the work of ministry, period. And that's not what it means. See, the thing about this is this is God's coaching staff, okay? This is God's coaching staff. Let me find the scripture here. This is God's coaching staff. These aren't people that are elevated. Come on, get a hold of this. These are not people that are elevated. These are people that come underneath and help you find your gift. See, I'm not here. I don't need you to show up to prop me up or to make my dreams come true. That is not my heart. That is not the heart of this. The heart of the church is this, is that you have a gift. God put you on the earth for a purpose. The only way you're going to find this purpose is through these five gifts here. Here's where we make the problem. We think we can jump from church to church seeking these out, thinking that we're going to find solutions and answers about what God's done on the inside of us. Nothing could be further from the truth. You need to hook up and be hooked up with ministry gifts that God has put in your place and has put before you. Amen? Well, I don't really like the way he does this. It doesn't matter. Do we hear God's voice through that minister? If you hear God's voice through that minister, that's where you're supposed to be. Well, he's fat. He's not as attractive. You know. Hello? Doesn't matter what the package looks like. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, I know we live in the world of podcasts and listening to our favorite teachers itching our ears. But I'm here to tell you, I, I'll just give you an illustration of this. When I got sick and I was in the hospital, you know, many people called and prayed with me. Many people called and prayed for me and prayed with me about the situation. But it was only until my pastor called me now get a hold of this. When my pastor called me and he prayed for me, it was different. Some of you are not getting this. It was different. Did you know that, say, for instance, you're in a hospital room and 
all kinds of traffic come in there. You know, you've got doctors and you've got nurses. And you've got friends that come in, you know, that want to help, want to pray, want to support you. But when dad walks in, listen, when dad walks in, things change. The environment changes. I remember um, sitting there and, you know, I'd gotten a bad report and, you know, I was sitting there in the hospital room and, of course, it was just Karen and I and then Mimi come in and I cried. I mean, I hadn't cried the whole time. Didn't cry at all. The minute she came in, <laughs> Why? Because there's a weight. Hello. Now you can listen to Stephen Furtick. You can listen to anybody you want to. But I'm here to tell you, my friends, when you're hooked into a local church, there's no greater voice than the voice of your pastor. And I'm not just saying it because I'm a pastor. The voice of your pastor in your predicament. Because God has made him shepherd over your soul. You may not like that. That may bother you. It doesn't change it. It doesn't change it. Hello? Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go through a pastor to get, you know, make decisions in your life and things of that nature. That's not what we're talking about at all. We're not talking about that kind of bondage. But what we are talking about is the fact that when we give honor, we receive honor. See, if I'm just Greg to you, and I don't mind you calling me Greg. It doesn't bother me. You're just going to get Greg. And Greg is very limited. You know? I do a very good job of aggravating, causing problems. Greg is a mess. Okay? But if you want, why would you call the dog when you want the cat? You know, why would you, why would you... You don't need me. You need God's gift. I don't own it. It's not something I can pull out like I pull out my wallet. And there has to be a demand on it. And anything God does, there has to be a faith demand. And I'm telling you, when my pastor prayed for me, things changed. And I had other ministers pray for me. I was taking all the prayer I could get. But when you hear from the Father, oh, come on now. When you hear from the Father, it changes. It changes you. Amen. So this is God's coaching staff. And this, this is not, we shouldn't make these celebrities. This isn't God's celebrities. And this isn't God's elite team. These are servants. The whole purpose of these five gifts is to serve you. How do they serve you? Equip you. I'm equipping you right now, whether you agree with it or not, whether you think so or not, I'm equipping you right now with teaching and words to be able to identify and actualize what God's done in you. It comes through teaching. 
I do it through the way I live my life too. Because you see me. You see what I go through. Follow me as I follow after Christ. Don't follow me personally. If, I, if I'm just following my own way, I, I don't. You don't have any responsibility to do that. But if I'm following after Christ, oh, come on. <clears throat> to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So it's not equipping the saints and do all the work of the ministry. Pastors painting, pastors doing all that stuff. You know, listen, to do what I need to do and to be who I need to be means I need to be an equipper and a trainer. That's what I am. So, you know, I can't, you know, I've seen pastors mowing the lawn, stuff like that, doing all that stuff, even before they preach, where they're not going to give much. Oh, <laughs> they're not going to give much because I know how that is because I had to work a job and, and, and pastor both. It's not, bivocational is not pristine. I know the majority of pastors and churches in this nation are bivocational. And it is not pristine as far as doing, looking, we're looking under the hood, guys. We're looking under the hood. It might look good on the outside. You might think he's such a, a, a honorable man. Look at him painting that and fixing that roof and then preaching in there. And we think it looks good, but under the hood. He's about to get a divorce because he can't figure it out. He, he's about to lose his mind because he's overwhelmed. Most pastors are just like most husbands. They won't say a thing. I can't show weakness. I can't show my congregation weakness. Come on, as goes the church, so goes the world. Amen? All right. So for the building up of the body of Christ. So that's what we're called to do. We're not called to be built up. We're not called to be equipped necessarily ourselves. And we're not, we're, we're not supposed to do all the work of the ministry. Our goal is to get underneath you and to help you achieve what God has called you to do. And if there are ministry gifts in your life that that is not the primary focus, you need to drop them like they're hot. Hello. Mm. Now, notice how long this is going to be until we attain to the unity of the faith. Now he's talking about doctrine. The reason why we need the fivefold ministry gifts is that he helps us attain the unity of the faith. Amen? And that takes time. Did you know what? After the rapture, Jesus is going to straighten all of us out. He's going to straighten all of us out on our doctrine. Amen? and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice that. That's what we're supposed to do, to mature manhood. See, that's when, where, and ha, anybody say I'm mature in Christ? Anybody? Raise your hand. We'll pray for you. <laughs> Cast that lying devil right out of you. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm not there yet. How about you? So then you need fivefold ministry gifts. See, we've got this idea that I can go down to Mardell's and get some books. We've got it to where we can watch Sid Roth and get the next big tape series and the next big thing that's on there. 
Come on now. And we're going to be okay. We don't have to commit to the local church. We don't have to commit to a process. We can just go when we want to, and we can just serve when we want to. And we think that those grace giftings are going to come out and just manifest themselves. They won't. I hope you're thinking about this. Because it's the fivefold ministry gifts, my friends, that cultivate and bring forth. They're the forge that brings forth what God's done on the inside of you. And without them, you will never make it. How can you say I'm submitted to God when you're not submitted to someone? When you're not submitted to a pastor or a minister gift? You can't do it. You can't do it. That's like saying, you know, um, I love God and hating your brother. I know this is a somber note, but it'll be okay. You'll survive. Steer in, still hot and fresh. You'll take a bite of that chicken and it'll all go away. Notice this. To look under the hood, you've got to realize, is there a five-fold presence in my church? And am I accountable to that five-fold presence? Because the only way that the grace giftings are going to come out of my life is if I submit myself unto a process that comes from a person. Amen. I can tell you're thrilled. But it's the truth. People that uh, consistently rebel against authority in the church, they never make it anywhere. Never. They don't make it. Guys, bottom line, you're going to leave this life one day and you're going to stand before your Lord. And he's not going to ask you the questions you think he's going to ask you. He has a totally different agenda. As goes the church, so goes the world. If we've got all this rebellion going on in the church, all this stuff, guess what? They're going to lose total restraint because there's no model. There's no model. There's, there's no, I mean, if they can come in and do the exact same things they do in the world and the church, what, what, what have we achieved? Amen. See, when people come in, they need to feel love. They need to feel endearment. They need to feel acceptance. They need to feel that there's order and there's not chaos. But even this house at times has had chaos in it. Hello. We try hard to keep the chaos out. But I'm here to tell you God's got a gift on the inside of you and God has great things for you and he wants to see you achieve great things in your life. I need you to ask yourself this question and I'll close it down. Is my current level of commitment, is my current level of submission enough to get to where God's calling me to be. 
And if you've got a problem with that and you've got an issue with that, then that's where you need to go to prayer. Because it just doesn't happen, guys. It doesn't just happen. I had to submit myself to a pastor. I had to put my life in there. And I had to say, you know what? Whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do it. And I'm here because of that commitment. Wasn't perfect. Got mad at him. Hello. Fought with him. Rebelled against him. But I stayed. I stayed around. Didn't want to. Wanted to leave multiple times. But see, I'm not showing up for him. I'm showing up for the Lord. Amen? I'm telling you, this will right a lot of your wrongs. This will right a lot of your wrongs, guys, if you'll get a hold of this. <clears throat> I know you don't think this is gold coming out of my mouth, but it is. Some of you are in financial debt because of your rebellion against what God is trying to do in your life. Some of you are not breaking through into new places because of rebellion. I won't do it. They ain't going to be over me. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. That, those are the words of fools. You will never do anything significant in your life with that attitude. Not that last. Not that's not going to be burned in the fire when you meet your Lord. There's a whole lot of sticks that were in my life. A whole lot of sticks and wood, hay, and stubble. But you know what? I had to make a decision. Am I going to go after the gold, the silver, and the precious stones? Man, I was going to have to lose my life. Maybe I can sing a song and make you happy before you leave. You know, do a little dance or a little soft shoe. But I'm giving you, I'm giving you some raw, real stuff here. I'm telling you, we need to lift the standard up. Because if we lift Jesus up, all people will be drawn. We're not lifting Jesus up the way we should. When we start lifting Jesus up the way that he is truly is, praise God, we, could, we don't have enough seats. We won't have enough space. Yeah. And it starts with God character, God focus, God gifting, and God equipping. Amen? Now, there are going to be people up here that will pray with you. You might need prayer after this message. They'll be here to pray with you if you need to be born again, need to rededicate your life, need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, need uh, deliverance or healing in your body. They'll be up here. Amen. I want to encourage you that tonight we have Sunday night school. It's going to be good. Flow. I'll tell you what, if you want to learn how to move and flow with the Holy Spirit, you need to come to flow. Six o'clock over in the uh, student ministries building. Then also on Wednesday night, we've been talking about <clears throat> the blessed hope, the rapture of the church. I encourage you to be with us on Wednesday nights. Amen. God is really moving. Hallelujah.